0: Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the Venture Fizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 202, and today's guest is Bruce Smith, CEO and founder of Hydro. Did you know that rowing works 86% of your muscles? It provides a full body workout that puts less stress on your joints, yet it's been an underrated exercise in terms of popularity. Maybe that's because of accessibility, as rowing on the water is not as easy to pull off as it is to run or cycle outside. And let's face it, the old style rowing machines and gyms were never really that appealing. Well, technology has caught up with the needs of consumers where you can now have a fully immersive and instructor-led experience right in your own home. And let's not ignore how the pandemic has really turned the fitness industry upside down. Well, now rowing is having its moment and Hydro is leading the charge. Hydro is the company behind the beautifully designed live outdoor reality rower. In addition, they are a content company that provides classes with world-class athletes, which are streamed live on the water, and they are building a massive library of classes. It's not a coincidence that Bruce founded Hydro. As you'll learn from this conversation, he has been involved in the sport of rowing for many, many years as a rower coach and entrepreneur. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like how competition within an industry can help pick each other up, Bruce's background growing up, including how he got involved in rowing and his career in the sport, a deep dive into Hydro in terms of creating their product, producing content, scaling the company, and more, how they were able to land comedian and actor Kevin Hart as a creative director and investor in the company, advice for founders on building out their initial core team, a look into the future of the fitness industry, and so much more. Okay, quick side note, this week's episode is sponsored by MarketMuse, a content intelligence platform that sets the standard for content quality. Their AI-powered software enables companies to create predictably better content at scale that increases traffic and engagement, improves productivity, and drives revenue. Get more out of your content with packages starting at just $79 a month, plus you can get 10% off select packages by using our code FIZ20 at checkout. Go to MarketMuse.com to get started. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Bruce. Bruce, thanks so much for taking the time to do this.
1: I am very happy to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me.
0: I'm excited to talk to you because Hydro is a fascinating product. It's beautifully designed. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited about kind of what's going on in the fitness industry. Um, you know, I've worked out since I was probably in high school and um, I had a gym membership for a lot, a lot of those years. I haven't had a gym membership for at least two to three years now. And it's not because I don't desire to go to a gym. Uh, it just it would take 15 minutes to drive there, work out, drive home, half hour out of my day, multiply that over a course of a week and over a course of a year. It just it would take that time where instead at home, you know, I have my own little workout room and I utilize that or I run outside or whatever I choose to do. Uh, and I just, I just look at how... The home fitness category is growing with products like Hydro and of course Peloton, Zwift, Mirror, there's all these companies out there. So, you know, I'm sure when you first started out, there was a lot of comparisons, as there is still is today, of uh, you know, Hydro is the Peloton for rowing. So how do all these different companies, as they're all playing in the same category, maybe doing different things, all kind of help each other pick up the industry and, and really catapult it forward?
1: Yeah, it's a really good observation. And I think that uh, the basic thing, like people love to move around in packs, they love to be active. Um, They're not active enough. And it is harder and harder to do that. And everybody has, especially in the United States, I think, um, expectations with their job where they're always on. And it used to be like, totally acceptable to take an hour for lunch, you know, and so... Like my, you know, my father-in-law would go to a gym in downtown Chicago and go for a swim and have a little bite of lunch and then go back to his law firm and it was totally, totally acceptable. And uh, now, if you take an hour for lunch, people are like, you know, where'd what? you go? What happened? <laughs> yeah. Like so, if you're not, you know, if you're not eating on Zoom these days, like you know, uh, so there is this just huge time pressure. And I, I think it's not that people don't like to go to the gym, they, they do and, and some people are always gonna to go to the gym. I think we're a little bit different from some of our competitors in that way that we really wanna be in all of the places where consumers are. But if, you, uh, you know, if you're a mom or a dad, uh, if you have a couple of kids, it's almost perceived as selfish to take that extra time to go to shower, to have the like the luxurious alone time at the gym, to be able to work out and take your time, and so there's this real real need in people's lives to have that connective experience and move around, you know, like to, to move around in a pack and have that really human experience of, of doing something physical with other people, but you just don't have time, and so technology's caught up with uh, t- technology's caught up with the need, and uh, Peloton shone a light on the opportunity, and then you've you know you've seen what happens in the market. Uh, it's really, it's just blowing up and um, the pandemic obviously has pulled all of that demand forward uh, and really, you know, accelerated the adoption curve.
0: Yeah, no, it's definitely uh, been a, a crazy year, but certainly has accelerated lots of industries, this being one of them, telemedicine, so many, so many others. Let's rewind the clock. So um, your background, so so where did you grow up? What were you like as a kid?
1: In Canadian. I grew up in Canada um, and then I, um, I didn't... Uh, I I did not like sports very much when I was a kid. Um, I played a lot of piano. I thought I was going to be a professional pianist. And then uh, somehow at Miguel, I got sucked into rowing and decided it would be great to row for Canada at the Olympics. And I tried really, really hard to do that. And I failed miserably. I did not even get close. But I think um, like a lot of sort of um, failed amateur athletes, I ended up coaching on the side. So I'm an entrepreneur. I love starting businesses. But I also was coaching, and I've been coaching, um, you know, really since my early 20s after after I gave up and recognized that I was actually never going to make the national team, um, I started coaching. So I coached at the high school level, the uh, club level, coached at Dartmouth College for a couple of years, and then ended up coaching the U.S. national team. And I've been to the World Championships 10 times for the United States. And so I was doing all, all of that while also uh, starting businesses. and. Uh, the coaching piece and the rowing piece never made sense as a business to me. It was just something that I love to do. Um, and then it, it really did all come together. I, I worked at a nonprofit in Boston called community rowing and we treated it like a, like a startup. And so it's a little rowing club, uh, built a beautiful building, um, you know, had to close out the fundraising campaign for that in 2008 and then grew the, uh, through the uh, membership there, so we used to put two or three hundred people on the water a day. And by the time I left, we were up around a thousand or twelve hundred people every day out in the water. Just watching how that changed people's lives was um, genuinely inspiring to me. And having the opportunity to transform that into something that could reach not just thousands or tens of thousands, but millions, was um, it was just it was too good an opportunity we couldn't pass it up.
0: Yeah, and that that seems like it's a common theme for where you've been focused on rowing, you know, obviously you started to grow an appreciation when you're in college and it's carried forward to what you're doing now with Hydro, but it's to bring the sport to the masses because there's this history and I learned this history by listening to some of your former podcasts of, you know, it was just, you know, people think of rowing as Ivy League, right? Like it's not something that everyone should be, everyone was doing yet. You're changing all that through community rowing and with Hydro. So it just seems like that's been a passion of yours.
1: Yeah, rowing has this kind of wretched uh, association, you know, with like rich white people, and um, it's a little, you know, it's like polo and racquetball and fencing. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things that uh, appears to live in the ivory tower. The truth about rowing, and uh, the truth about my great great uncle who actually built rowing shells in the eighteen sixties and seventies, which is, you know, weirdly congruent with my life now. Um, The truth about rowing is that it was actually like a big money sport. It was the first big money sport along with boxing. It was the first international sport. There's a really great book called Boys in the Boat. I hope we'll get to make the movie at some point. Um, And it tells the story of of how it was really like about scrappy uh, working people who were out and they would would draw crowds of 50 or 75,000 people. And this is back when 50 or 75,000 people was really 50 years so, you know, it was like really a lot of people who would go and watch on the banks of the Charles River, the banks of the Harlem River in New York um, and bet on two scholars who were racing back and forth. And so it was a, you know, it was a really popular sport. Um, as rivers got polluted and as media changed, you know, it became less and less interesting. And football, you know, where you could put four cameras in the corners of the field and broadcast that on Saturdays became just a lot easier and more consumable and as the rivers got more and more polluted it became a lot less interesting so the you know the cuyahoga river actually caught fire uh in the 50s and so people really didn't want to go down to the water anymore um it changed in 1971 this is sorry this is way down in the weeds but you know the clean the clean water act uh started to have an impact and rivers became desirable so when i moved from montreal to chicago I saw the Chicago River and I was like, oh, cool, we could row on that. And there was a tiny rowing club, but I ended up building a couple other rowing clubs, uh, you know, with uh, with a high school and, and with a, a local rowing club on the Chicago River. And if you grew up in Chicago, that would never happen because it was just a cesspool. And I got there and I was like, it's not that bad because it was starting to get cleaned up. And so now there are actually a lot of rowers out in Chicago. And people use the water in a way that they haven't in in more than a century there. So it's actually, you know, I think it's, um, it's more of a return or a resurgence and everybody has crew neck sweater. And that is actually from crew, you know, and people know what crew cuts are and that is actually from the sport of rowing. You know, it, it resonates on a really deep level throughout the United States and, and, uh, Anglo culture, like all, all over the world, you know, the British brought it everywhere that, that they that they went. And I learned pennants were created from the sport of of rowing and rowing. Exactly. I know, yeah, just to tell uh, Harvard and Yale apart. And uh, it really is it's it's one of those funny things where like once you hit the tuning fork, like it just starts to resonate and you start to see it everywhere. Um, it's like uh, saying pink elephants and and then all you see are pink elephants. it's it is definitely one of those things that everybody has some connection to, and above all, you know the most basic thing it's on water. and human beings just love to be around water. I mean, one of the greatest
0: days in Boston is the head of the Charles. I mean, it's yeah. just
1: such a fun day, fun event,
0: and to see it firsthand. So it's uh, it's great how it is starting to spread more across, you know, people just, you know, casual rowers or exercise, yeah. exercising. So
1: yeah, exactly. Two or 300,000 people go and watch the Charles. And one of the things that we, you know, we were really eager to start this company because, there are a lot of people who use indoor rowing machines in the United States. There are about 12 million people a year, 13 million people a year and CrossFit and Orange Theory have played a really big role in introducing people to indoor rowing machines. The, you know, the beauty of the sport, the synchronicity and the rhythm and the splash and the sweat of being out in the Charles River is something that we really wanted to capture and deliver to people. So for us, it was critical to get this product to market before somebody decided like, oh wait, we're gonna broadcast a lot of classes from classrooms. We really wanna capture the essence of what rowing is and bring that to life in people's uh, in people's daily experience. And so the, the technology um, really changed in like 2017, we were able to broadcast successfully from the water and that, that was what brought live outdoor reality to life for us. So we can, we can take you and we do take you every single day live out on the water to a place that you would have a hard time getting to on your own, but we can provide a really immersive experience that is the next best thing to being there. And these are locations all over the
0: world. I mean, it's obviously domestically, but yeah. I mean, it's like it's the, the content you're creating is fabulous. It's, you know, it is that real experience of being on the water. You're not, like you said, um, you know, in a studio watching just someone work an indoor rowing machine. This is somebody that's actually on the water. So the content side of what you're creating is you know that that's a a massive library of beautiful content where you that's
1: core of your business is yeah it really is it's um we talk a lot about this it's a challenge with customers because to experience it fully you have to do three or four workouts and you start to look around and this concept of live outdoor reality or lor is something that takes a little bit of time to experience because you'll be like wait there's a bird that is about to fly into that rower, and then the rower is like, ah, like, and they get hit by a bird, or they, or you know, um, last week in Chattanooga, uh, uh, one of the athletes turned around, and there was actually a buck with like a rack of antlers swimming across the river, and they really? almost <laughs> ran into the buck. And yeah, yeah. so it's this really, it it really is. It makes you wonder why anybody would ever go to a classroom. Um, it uh, it has this element of immediacy and surprise. That I think people really crave you know when people talk about overall health and wellness and we really are a wellness company and a whole health company we're not a rowing company but when people start to get serious about making themselves feel better you need to experience nature if you're in downtown New York City or if you're in a high-rise or if you're just in the suburb it's pretty hard to get out into nature screens are not as good as being there but they are definitely this moment in your day where you can unplug from the pressures of Slack and Zoom and all of the other uh, things attached to your telephone and really immerse yourself in this experience that we take you to that is genuinely, like it's its not only engaging for your whole body, but it is genuinely engaging for your whole mind. It's, it's, like, it's like a shower for your mind. It's really great.
0: And from a consumer point of view, and I, I guess I'm just gonna speak for my own mentality, is I always knew rowing was the best thing for you uh, you know, in terms of physical activity, because it works so many pieces of your body. But I never was looking at a rowing machine in nor rowing machine in a gym, be like, yeah, I'm gonna spend a lot of time on that, I, you know, do other things. But when you look at the hydro, it's it changes that element. It's just like, it's a beautiful machine, the experience of being on the water and being part of that, it changes it. But I think what's important people to note is, it is the best exercise for your body from what I remember right there's tons
1: of science so you know as a national team coach i had to spend a lot of time uh figuring out how to actually train people and and what the best exercises were so um you know working with somebody who's training for the olympics and they would come down and they might have some tendonitis in their wrist and they would say hey coach you know i'm sorry i can't uh row today i've got tendonitis and i would check the wrist and be like you're right you can't row so we were gonna row for 45 minutes on the water, um, you know, doing 45 minutes of work. And so I would like you to get on the bike and I want you to spend two hours on the bike. And it's that differential. So you're using your entire posterior chain. You're using all of your muscles uh, when you're rowing. There's there's gonna be, a, I really believe this, I, you know, there's gonna be a moment when everybody starts scratching their heads and it's like, why, you know, why did I buy a bike? I'm not, I'm not sure. Like it's, it exercises the lower half of my body. It diminishes bone density. Um, I have to do another workout after and all movement is good. If you're not moving around or if you love biking, absolutely. And I, I love biking. Like, you know, it's, it's fun to go outside and bike, but if I want to exercise, if I want to do the best thing for my body and I have half an hour or an hour, like that, I'm going to choose the best thing. And that's, um, that is rowing actually. And I don't think there's any it's, it's just starting to creep into the popular consciousness, I think, where people are like, oh, wait, I should really, if, if I have a limited budget for time and I really want to do the best thing for myself, I should do a sport like rowing because it's going to exercise everything. It's 70% aerobic, 30% strength. It's really a great recipe for feeling better for the whole day.
0: So you mentioned before that Entrepreneurship is something that's been, you know, core to you as well. So uh, I learned that you started your first business when you were ten. So what
1: what business was that? I I was. uh, It was a little bit audacious. I I made brass candlesticks that you could hang on the wall, and I sold them at the local craft fair. Um, It turns out that. Uh, so you you know these brass rods that people would use for soldering like I, I had no idea somehow I came across like sheets of brass that I hammered with uh, tin snips down in my basement and I don't think my parents ever noticed but I grabbed the blowtorch and I would solder these like brass pieces together with other brass it turns out that solder doesn't really work with brass but I made it stick well enough and I would sell them for $15 I thought it was like king of the world and my you know, my triumph was that I got an order for 15 of them for a local church and they used them for like Christmas services. It was really great. Um, every now and then they would like spring apart. It was a little bit embarrassing, but uh, people were pretty kind to me. Um, it was definitely, it was fun. I enjoyed it a lot and it kind of set the hook. Um, I just, I, I, love, uh, I love business and I, I love uh, starting new things. It's really, it's really, really engaging, especially the, the, just the people you get to meet and the energy that people bring to the table is super fun. So, how did the idea behind Hydro come about? It's so it's so not rocket science. I mean, it's kind of embarrassing. You know, Peloton uh, had started and was operating, and our first thought was that we would just produce content that you could put it uh, on a tablet and then uh, stick it on a rowing machine and then we start you know like i know a lot about rowing machines probably like an unreasonable amount and i really love concept 2 rowers they're bulletproof and they're just there's a good reason that people didn't use them nobody knows how and they're they're made to be boring like they're specifically made as like a personality test to be boring and um there is a big opportunity they you know they were created by the Dressgacker brothers in the 80s and they haven't really changed that much. They you know, they change from a fan to a turbine, use air resistance, but they're just loud and they don't belong in your living room. And Peloton made it clear that people really want to have fitness as part of their life. It doesn't belong in the basement. It doesn't belong in the garage. It actually belongs as a central part of your life. So there's this huge opportunity. Nobody could really change drawing machines and they've been uh, more or less the same for about 40 years and we were able to create some new patented technology that uses my um my knowledge around the rowing stroke and how the rowing stroke actually feels and we can translate that using a computer algorithm into the right feeling for the machine and it is super gratifying every single person who sits down on a hydro the first thing they say is like oh it feels so good and uh it does have this really uh Really natural resistance, and it's all generated by a computer algorithm. It's like a Tesla; we can update the algorithm over time. So the the machine itself will deliver new features, even though it, uh, even though it's not moving from your home, it just delivers new features over the Wi-Fi. And how did you decide? We already talked about the content side. How did you
0: you know make that determination that we're going to do this live on the water? The technology is there, but that's a different production, right? It's not. I mean, it's it's doable, but it's not simple.
1: It's actually yeah, no and it is genuinely like really hard. Um if you don't know if you haven't spent 20 or 30 years in the water um shooting on the water every single day is highly disruptive to the people who live on the water. You know, like they're rowers and sailors and fishermen and like it's a it's a community with a lot of vested interests and you need to understand how to work with those uh those existing communities or you just won't get access because it the water is is public but it's also permitted and it's um, it's it would be the equivalent of saying like hey I'm just going to start you know filming on these city streets every single day like wait there are cars and pedestrians and it's just not going it's not going to fly so it is a really hard environment but I think that for us the driving factor was that it's just so beautiful and to capture the there's this piece about synchronicity in rowing so when you're in a boat you're moving you experience rhythm and you experience it with your whole body. And rhythm is this incredibly powerful thing for humans. You know, like the, the driving force behind music is that four on the floor, rhythm. Um, quoting Quincy Jones, everybody's favorite. And so you get to experience that in a visceral way, moving with another human being, and that's that goes like, it goes right you know into your like right at the base of your brain. It's something that you don't even think about. You feel it in a really basic way, and it's like scratching an itch that you didn't know you had. And it's one of the reasons that rowers are all, you know, part of this crazy committed tribe. And if you're gonna experience that, you have to experience it out in the water because the relationship of the boat and the water and the oar is what drives that rhythm. And so for people to experience that at, that at home, we have to originate out in the water. You can't start on a rowing machine, you have to start with the water. And so you combine the aesthetics and the rhythm and then just the joy of being outside in these beautiful locations that are constantly changing and constantly providing something new so every monday, tuesday, wednesday, thursday, friday, saturday, sunday you're getting something new and different it became um even though it was really hard and quite expensive it became a complete no-brainer if we were really going to capture the value of rowing and deliver it to people then that experience was critical to transmit from where it starts which is out you know on the Charles River
0: now then there's the physical product. So how did, how did you go about building, you know, the hydro? Cause it's, it's not easy building a product. And then obviously the d- industrial design, the manufacturing. So how did you go through
1: that process of you know, do, how to build um, such an elegant product? Uh, we just didn't know how hard it was, <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> people, people say that a lot. I think, you know, if we knew how hard it was we wouldn't have done it or we couldn't have done it. And um, the hard thing about hardware is that it's hard. Uh, It is really hard. We had some incredibly talented people early and um, we were able to do it in record time. It usually takes, you know, at least a couple of years to bring a hardware product to market. And we were able to get the production line running in less than 12 months and deliver to customers very, very quickly. So I think that the driving force behind that, we had an amazing designer industrial designer, um, uh, Julie Miller, who is just unbelievably talented and, she took the inspiration of a, you know, of a beautiful rowing shell, and also, you know, my favorite, one of my favorite cars, the nineteen seventy one Ghibli, is just like the shape of the car and the rowing shell. I think were really great inspirations for her, and she was able to, to capture that fluidity. And once we had the shape, then the resistance piece was, uh, you know, really hard engineering and a lot of math. And it turns out that Boston is a great place to find uh, people who can build really great products, which I was was honestly a little bit surprised about because it's such a, you know, it's like a silver medal city. Like everybody is very committed to the status quo in Boston, but people were really willing to go the extra mile and uh, come together to put the pieces behind both the math and the algorithm and the computing, as well as the form factor to make a a really, um, what we think is like a really pretty gorgeous product so we're, we're really excited about that and we we hope that that will um kind of change the approach that people have in boston to be like you know like let's let's shake shake things up so even even more if we can And it was a uh, very fast validation for the product because you had a very successful kickstarter campaign too right you ask very kind <laughs> questions yeah <laughs> yeah it was uh it was it was a really um Again, it was just a surprise. So, and, you know, our investor said, oh, obviously all the rowers that, you know, bought it. And we looked and, um, you know, we had close to a thousand purchasers and less than, fewer than one in 10 were rowers. Everybody else had never seen the product, never touched the product and were complete strangers to us. And when you think about it, so they were dropping like more than, you know, like thousands of dollars on a product that was not made yet. You know, we've made six prototypes and it's all super clear in the Kickstarter video that it's not made. And they were still willing to put the money down. And um, in the Kickstarter world, like a product that costs $1,200 is, is a lot. And I think everybody was just very surprised by the response. It was really, really encouraging. And that was like the first like definitive green shoot that we like, we knew we had a hit product um, because the, the response just online was so, so powerful.
0: So Bruce, you've raised capital, you've raised $52 million total, $25 million was announced this past June from great investors, Al Catterton, and then some. there's some celebrity connections here too. So you've got RX3 Ventures as an investor, which is co-founded by Aaron Rodgers, the legendary Green Bay Packers quarterback. And then a really, really interesting one where there's a whole press release around this is the actor-comedian Kevin Hart, who actually has a title- with your company as creative director. So talk about how that all came about of you know raising capital, but then having some celebrity endorsement too.
1: Yeah, you know, celebrities are definitely really interested in the venture world these days. And we were approached by a lot of people. Um, you know, I think Ashton Kutcher sort of broke the mold, and um, you know, and Mark Wahlberg, local, local boy, who uh is gonna make way more from Wahlberger than he ever made from you know, his movie career. And, and he's a very successful movie star. So it, it's not like a super surprise that we would have an actor involved. We were really, really excited uh, when we saw that Kevin was actually using his Hydro a lot. You know, We were introduced to him by an investor uh, who you mentioned, RX3, and uh, we have uh, numerous connections there. But Kevin's journey, just as a as a person, you know, he was he was really out of shape. He had a uh, life changing accident, and he decided it was really time to get it in shape. And he has a great trainer, you know, Ron the Boss, and uh, he's really into fitness. And uh, a lot of celebrities who would approach us would say, "Oh, I'm so interested," but then they just wouldn't use their hydro. You know, they maybe it was in like one of their three houses or something. But Kevin actually used his all the time, and uh, we started having conversations, and it became clear that not only um was he potentially a great investor but he could play a really critical role in explaining the product to people and um uh, his uh in one of our calls he said you know like you just got to make it dumber like you got to make it make it completely understandable and when i talk about rowing you know i have credibility because i am a national team coach and i you know like i've done it a lot kevin comes at it from a radically different place and he's like he's brand new to it Like every Every customer we have is brand new to the to the sport. And so he's able to explain it in a way and connect with people. And it's just, it's so exciting because he blows up every stereotype ever associated with rowing. And he's really passionate about it. Um, and he's just a really good guy. So it's um, it's really, uh, it's been a pleasure to work with him. Uh, the, the partnership kicked off about two months ago. Um, he's done his first content production. Uh, we have some really exciting plans coming up for, December and January uh, for his continued engagement. And it's just, it's really a, a total blast to be involved with like a top five influencer in the world. It's really great.
0: That's so cool. Now, What's the current stage of the business in terms of, uh, you know, you had mentioned earlier that with the pandemic, that's obviously been something that's helped catapult the business, but w- where is it currently? And what are the growth plans ahead?
1: We are just onboarding our second contract manufacturer, so we can uh, radically increase our capacity next year, which is really exciting. And uh, we've just, you know, November was, uh, we had very ambitious goals for the company for sales, and uh, we crushed them by more than 2x. And it's, it's really, um, it's both humbling and really exciting to be here. It's, it's one of those Hockey stick stories that people dream about. I think um, the pandemic, uh, you know, has accelerated Peloton's business enormously, and I think our approach is a little bit different. You know, we're we're super relative to our peers. We are just very capital efficient. You know, we uh, we don't need to open stores. Um, we don't need to build out our own delivery systems. The company has about 110 employees right now, and uh, we're not going to be you know, exponentially growing our, our headcount. We're actually going to focus entirely on just delivering stunningly great content to our members and customers and growing the company in a super capital efficient way so that we can reach as many people as possible, but also keep that coherence and creativity that we believe drives the greatest experience in the world and, and not turn into a giant company, but rather keep the, the core group so that we can be nimble and respond daily to all the changing events in the world.
0: And, you know, the future of this category, you mentioned that, I think you said, we're not a indoor rowing company, right? You're you're bigger than that. So where do you see the future? And I'm talking about like augmented reality, like, with, like, cause this is, you know, the technology is kind of there, not entirely, but not in the too distant future where, you know, you could be, you know, potentially augmented reality of rowing with others.
1: Yeah, so we have done uh, a good amount of development using AR and VR technologies. And it is really exciting. And it's why we positioned the company where we did. We actually, we believe pretty strongly that classes are are fun. They require an amazingly energetic and magnetic personality. And that's a single driver for interest and engagement. And if you don't have that, you don't have anything. You have four black walls. when you think about live outdoor reality, not only do you have that really engaging, super authentic, super real person who's encouraging you and leading you and, and setting the rhythm for the workout, but you also have this whole environment around you. And the environment is genuinely immersive and really special out in the water. It's um, it's a it's a genuine relief from the day to day. And we position live outdoor reality specifically to leverage the new technologies that are coming to the fore. And we have some good relationships. With some of the companies that are building um, glasses and headsets the form factor is definitely not fun yet you know it's it's um it's not that great to sweat a lot with oculus on your head and uh that is a problem that i think almost everybody is working on and will be solved i would say in the next i would say realistically like three to four years we will see some form factors that will not only be really comfortable to wear during a workout, but also will have a 5G capacity and we'll be able to broadcast and handle a different, just a, an order of magnitude more data. And that data is what's going to allow for that genuinely immersive experience. And I think it will completely blow your mind, but that's that's why we position ourselves out on the water and not in a class. That's so cool. I can't wait. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's really, it is actually, so I've, I've done workouts with the Oculus out on the water live with people and it is, it is, um, it, it is mind blowing. What has been the
0: hardest part of building a
1: business like this? You know, I think the surprising part, everything's hard. Like it's all, you know, every single thing about it is hard. And that's the, that's why it's fun. Um, if I knew I could do it, I don't think it would be fun. The, the really surprising part was just how conservative most investors are. Um, you know, I, I went probably not as many meetings as John Foley took, but a lot of meetings. And people really wanted the the concept and the technology to be validated before they invest. And it's a real chicken-egg question. And we were super lucky that we had some visionary early investors, uh, you know, Dick Cashin, Andy McLean, Jim Pallotta, um uh, who were really uh, pretty exceptional people who who saw the saw the glimmer uh and and put the money up to bring it to fruition uh very quickly so that part i was you know i was was really surprised about and um it, it makes sense i guess but the the joy of venture is is really doing crazy things not normal things and if you know the answer then um it's already on the supermarket shelf you know so that that was really surprising and other than that, you know, like every the, the fun of making sure that we have basically like five little companies within one roof and making sure that each one of those is performing at the right time, at the right speed so that it matches with the other ones. Um, I think bringing all those piece, pieces together all the time, uh, something that um, if you're an entrepreneur, you have this like singular vision and singular idea. And you're not necessarily great at communicating out about those things and making sure that all the pieces uh, fit together and mesh is definitely, I think for me, like the most challenging piece. But it's stories like this that I
0: find, uh, you know, I'm not a venture capitalist, but if I was that you want to hear the story of an entrepreneur that has this passion that is carried into their business. It's not like you are sitting around a table conference room table at a business school saying what business are we going to create let's be the peloton of hmm i don't know what what do you think right so it's not like you're trying to invent a category this is a category that was it took years of your experience as a coach as an athlete to get to the point of and technology to finally get to the point where i was ready to, to actually pull this off
1: yeah it definitely i do feel super lucky that um you know, rowing is such a terrible waste of time, you know, like, it's like, if you're, if you're a national team coach, like you just waste, and like, I can't tell you the number of hours that athletes spend out on the water. And I didn't spend as many hours as they did. And and it was, I mean, it's just like, it is just a colossal time sink and can have seriously deleterious effects on uh, relationships and kids. It's just, it's really rough. And to have it actually crystallize into uh, something that can we hope really you know improve people's lives a little bit on a, on a broad basis is really really exciting and i just feel so lucky that the you know my interests in starting business and also growing were able to converge like this um you know uh, better lucky than good I, I owe an enormous amount to timing uh around the technology and then also with the pandemic you know there are so many terrible outcomes with the pandemic but then pulling these opportunities forward is also, uh, is, is I think really great for people. So I hope that we'll be able to realize that vision and, and actually, you know, get to a million people very quickly and, and people will feel healthier and happier and, and, and a little more connected in their daily life.
0: So you talked about your team earlier. Um, so what advice would you give to founders on, you know, building out the initial core team of a company, kind of that
1: first set of employees? I am deeply biased towards people who are seasoned. Um and so the f- employee number one, uh, this is his tenth startup. Uh he is the Wayne is Wayne Gretzky of CTOs. Uh, he's he's just a stunningly great chief technology officer. Uh his name is Chris Paul, and
0: who's a legend uh,
1: in the in the Boston Tech scene, absolutely. He, he really is, yeah. He's just remarkable. Um and uh, truthfully, I, you know, he interviewed me, uh, seven or eight times. I called him, um, I was introduced and, and called him to ask who I could possibly hire as a CTO because he knows everybody. And he, uh, got curious about the idea and, and um, I bought him a lot of lunches and, <laughs> uh, you know, somewhere around the seventh or eighth lunch, he, uh, uh, decided that he he would like to be the CTO, and that was the first domino in a, in a long line of really really seasoned people. So the the entire C team has done minimum of two and and a maximum of ten startups, and have seen that um, have seen what happens on the other side of extreme growth, and so they 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 know um, not just. What's coming, but also how to get there. And there's a huge, huge advantage in in maintaining our speed, I think. And also just really fun to work with them because they're they you know that they're good at it. They're inflappable. Now the, you mentioned uh, you know, the, the
0: the hardware piece, not knowing what you're getting into is a benefit, but what would you what advice would you give to other founders that are trying to build a physical product, a piece of hardware?
1: Hire great engineers and um uh our engineers, our engineering firm was Cooper Perkins and um, just outside of Boston and Lexington and um, their experience working with us, you know, I had, uh, I, w- I would be about to make a mistake and their, their leader would, uh, Gerhard would call me and say like, hey, you're about to make a mistake. And I would listen to Gerhard, but the, the biggest thing that they reported about us is that we were singularly committed to speed and beauty. And um, we didn't try to do more than that. And that meant that we spent a little more money, but because we had those singular goals, uh, we were able to continue to move fast without too many pivots. And I think that that is really hard. There are so many pitfalls and so many compromises along the way. You have to identify your North Star and be willing to pay the price for it. And uh, if you can do that, then you have a tiny shot at doing something uh, great. It is unbelievably hard though. And, and we were very, very lucky in a lot of ways. Now, Boston is, it's
0: pretty interesting. There's like a growing cluster of sports technology companies. Uh, you know, the other one that I think of is, is whoop, right. That's, you know, scaling and growing and I'm, I'm a whoop user. I, I have my band on now and it's a great experience. The uh, the technology is amazing. So it's just really cool to see what's been developing in the, in the, in the Boston tech landscape. There really
1: is, uh, you know. There's um, Lightboxer and Whoop and us and a few other nascent things. I think, you know, I wouldn't draw too straight a line, but uh, the fact that New Balance is here is, you know, it's it's not by accident. There there are a lot of people who um, who are really interested in fitness around here, and when you combine that with Harvard and MIT and Northeastern and and you know the the number of brains wandering around on two feet. Um, you get some interesting outputs.
0: Well, it's a fascinating point that you brought up, like, like the fact that there's so many footwear companies in Boston. Like Asics acquired Runkeeper, which was another you know great success yep. story. But then you have Converse, Nike, you know, Reebok, like all these foot and there's other ones I'm not even thinking of that all have hooks in Boston or origins in Boston. It's just kind of a random place for so many footwear companies to be,
1: to be. In. I know it is. It, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely like a, a thing. And in fact, one of our early employees was uh, from New Balance. and We've we benefited a lot from their experience in the sports world. It's um, I was really surprised. I always thought that um, we would have to start a great brand in New York. And we, we only stayed here because of the connection to rowing. And you know, I can see outside the window that Charles River uh, from the offices here in Harvard Square, and we thought that was an important um, part of our story. And in fact, uh, you know, when you do scratch the surface here, there is a remarkable pool of talent. And uh, it's really, it's it's just, um, it's been totally wild and, and really, really fun to get to know more people here. Yeah, no, there's so much going on. I mean, iRobots helped other yeah. hardware
0: robotics companies, so there's a lot going on. Uh, outside of work, what do you like to do?
1: Um, you know, then I work some more, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh I really, yeah. I, if you ask my wife, I think she would say that I really like to work a lot and that would be like, you know, full stop. That's not, that's not true. I, uh, you know, I, I, I row and I, I coach a lot and, um, and then I, you know, I still, I hack away on the piano. Um, I try not to bother anybody with that, but it's, <laughs> it's, uh, the, the work thing is just, it's, um. It is so deeply absorbing and I think one of the uh, funniest and most accurate articles I read is it's, it's CEOs come in all different shapes and sizes and they have different skill sets and there, there is no defining characteristic of a CEO. With the exception of, of willingness to work 12 hours a day, six or seven days a week and uh, having that it's you can't underestimate the diesel engine. Um, you really have to be able to put the hours in because there's there's really no solution for that in the early part of the business. Well, Bruce, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your background, all the great things you've been up
0: to at Hydro and uh, wishing you continued success.
1: Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for the great questions. It was really a pleasure to chat.